Welcome to Sermons of Grace with Pastor David Murphy of the Grace Baptist Church in Gambles Terrace, Antigua. Last week in our study of the book of Romans, Pastor Murphy began our study of chapter 3, where Paul is responding to objections raised by the Jews. Today we'll see Paul's answer to the Jews' first assertion that Paul is saying there is no advantage to being a Jew. Turn with me, please, to the book of Romans. Romans chapter 3 is where we are this morning. I want to read uh, several verses in Romans chapter 3. For those of you who have been coming to the church for the past several months, you would know that we have been preaching a series of messages from the book of Romans. And um, we want to pick up where we left off the last session. And that brings us to Romans chapter 3. Follow with me, please. What advantage then hath the Jew? Or what profit is there of circumcision? Much in every way. Chiefly because that unto them was committed the oracles of God. For what if some did not believe? Shall their unbelief make the faith of God without effect? God forbid. Yea, let God be true. But every man a liar, as it is written, that thou mightest be justified in thy sayings, and mightest overcome when thou art judged. But if our unrighteousness commendeth the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unrighteous who taketh vengeance? I speak as a man. God forbid, for then how shall God judge the world? For if the truth of God hath more abounded through my lie unto his glory, why yet am I also judged as a sinner? And not rather, as we be slanderously reported, as some affirm that we say, let us do evil that good may come, whose damnation is just. That brings me to to what Paul uh, begins to talk about. The explanation uh, Paul gives in response to this matter. Uh, Notice what Paul says. He said, what advantage then hath the Jew? Uh, What profit is there in circumcision? He's now responding much in every way. They had a great deal of advantages. Chiefly because they were committed, to them were committed the oracles of God. Now, it's a fascinating verse, by the way. The, 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 the Jews asked us, so well, what, was our, what was our advantage then? Did we now have an advantage? And Paul said, I'm going to tell you what your greatest advantage was. And then Paul gives a, uh, makes a fascinating statement that it, 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 it is, I wouldn't say it, it's surprising. But let me ask a question. If the Jew were to ask you what advantage did he have over the Gentile, well, how would you respond to that? I'm not too sure that you would have responded the way that Paul did. I wonder if you would have said, well, you know, the great advantage of the Jews, they had, they had Abraham as the progenitor, the man that started the Jewish race. Or I wonder if you said, you know, the greatest, uh, the greatest thing the Jew had was Joseph, the great prime minister of Egypt. Or somebody would say, you know, the great advantage was Moses. Were they ever an administrator, a military man like Moses? 
the great lawgiver, or maybe somebody, the greatest they had was Joshua, the man that led them into the promised land. Or somebody, the greatest they had was Isaiah, the prophet, Ezekiel, the prophet. Would we not be thought to say those kind of thoughts? But the important thing is this. When Paul is pointing out what advantage the Jew had over the Gentiles, he says to them, you had one supreme advantage over the Gentile world. And Paul is saying, the thing that you had was the oracles of God. I want to deal with that for just a moment. Now, what advantage did the Jew have? You expect a list, don't you? Paul is like, well, blah, 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 blah. Here's the advantage. But Paul said, no. You want to know what advantage you really had? Here it is. You had the oracles of God. That is the supreme thing. Not how we would have responded, not how we would have acted. But it gives you an idea of the elevated view that Paul had of God's revelation, the word of God. In Paul's mind, there is no greater gift than the word of God given to the Jews. Nothing compares with it. Everything pales in comparison. Now there's some words that uh, Paul uses here that raises some interesting points. And let me just draw them to you. First of all, the word chiefly. The word translated chiefly, in literally, it should be first of all. But you know what? When Paul says first of all, you expect what? Second of all, third of all, fourth of all. But there is no sequential after. There's no sequence after. He doesn't say first of all, second of all, third of all. Paul said first of all. By the way, in, in chapter 1 and verse 18, when he's writing to the believers, he said, first of all, I want to thank God for your faith that is, is broadcast throughout the whole world. But you never find, again, secondly, I want to thank God that you did this. No, first of all. Now, what, what Paul is saying here is that first in importance. The supreme thing that you have that distinguishes you from the Gentiles. The preeminent thing. The preeminent advantage that you have is that you have what is called the oracles of God. It's your greatest advantage. So that's the first word that Paul used chiefly. He's saying here the preeminent thing, the most important thing that you have is the word. And then the next word that is used in the King James is to you were committed. Again, in the Greek language, it is far more stronger than that. What it says in the, in the Greek language, to you were entrusted. God has given to you a stewardship. Something that belongs to God has been entrusted to you as a steward. And you're responsible as a faithful steward to guard that. So he's saying to the Jews, the great advantage you have was that God gave you a preeminent responsibility. And that preeminent responsibility is that God entrusted you with the oracles. I wonder how we see the word of God. Do we ever see it that way that the preeminent thing that the church has is not the pews and not the building and not the microphone and not the singers. That the preeminent thing that God entrusted to the church is the word. That the church is the pillar and ground of truth. And that's our supreme gift that God has endowed the church with. Committed. So they are to look after, they are to keep it, they are to guard it, they are to protect it. 
There are the guardians of truth. And then the other word that is used here is the word oracles of God. Now if you go through the Bible, you'll find that that expression is only used four times in the Bible. Uh, in Acts chapter 7 and verse 38. You remember when Stephen is given his defense before the, the council? And what Stephen does is to show in the history of Israel a consistent process of rebellion. And what Stephen in the defense, they're charging Stephen he's going to be stoned. And what Stephen does, he reaches into the files of Israel's history. And he shows them at every stage in your, in your journey, every stage, when God raised up a man, you rebelled against him. Whether it be Moses or Joshua. Every time in your history, there's a, there's a mark every time. Rebellion, rebellion, rebellion. And then he said to them, and even now you're resisting the Holy Spirit. But it's interesting in, in, in Acts chapter 8 when he's talking about Moses. And he's talking about how they rejected Moses and rebelled again. Even though Moses, God had raised up Moses to be a servant. He said, this Moses is one to whom had God had given the living oracles of God. The man that was given the living oracles of God. You rejected. Jesse rejected Joshua. He rejected the Christ and now you're rejecting me too. And then he said, ye stiff neck and uncircumcised and hard in ears. You always do resist the Holy Spirit. But the point I'm making here is, Paul, uh, Stephen is saying that God gave to Moses the oracles of God. The word in the Ten Commandments. The oracles of God. See? And then the next time you find that word is in Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12. The Apostle Paul in that particular passage, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 12, he's remonstrating and complaining about the dullness of the believers. Paul has got some profound truth to teach to them. You know what Paul wants to teach to them in Hebrews chapter 5? Paul wants to teach them about the order of Melchizedek, that Christ is a priest after the order of Melchizedek. It is one of the great mysteries of the Bible. And he wants to open up that truth to them. But Paul says, now I want to teach you this profound truth. I find that... You're dull of hearing. And I need to go back to the elementary things of the oracles of God. I want to teach you something more profound, but you're not able to handle it. And I must go back to the basics. But notice again, Paul is referring to the oracles of God. The simple things of the word. And then the third time that this word is used is found in 1 Peter chapter 4. But Peter says, if any man speak, let him speak of the oracles of God. And the fourth time is when we have it in this text. So what we mean by the oracles of God is divine utterance, divine revelation. Uh, and when it talks about the divine oracles, the divine revelation, it's talking about the actual words. Not the just ideas, not the just the thoughts of God, but the very words of God. Not the mere sentiments of scripture. But the very words of God. And Paul is saying that you Jews had this advantage. That God had given to you his word. So in Acts chapter 7, Hebrews chapter 5 and 1 Peter chapter 4. It's all referring to the, the words of God. The very words of God. When God gave the Ten Commandments, he didn't give thoughts. He didn't give ideas. He gave words. It is called propositional truth. 
Now, the reason why I'm emphasizing that, by the way, is because those of you who are aware of what is happening increasingly again and again in modern translations is that they're saying, we, we, you know, what we need is to just express the thought of the scriptures. The idea of the scripture, not the words of the scriptures. A very dangerous thing. Very, very dangerous. Because God doesn't give us thoughts and ideas. God gave us words. All scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. And it's God breathe. Oracles came out. God breathed. This is what God wants. Peter said, holy men of God spake as they were moved, carried along by the Holy Spirit. So it's not just ideas or thoughts. It's words. Jesus made a big argument on one single plural. Singular. And by the way, he also made an argument on a verb. He said to the people, God did not say I was the God of Abraham and Isaac. But he said, God is. A lot of difference. You see, Abraham and Isaac didn't perish. He's still their God. That's the whole point of the argument. But his whole argument was about whether it should be was or is. He said, he didn't say he was. He said he is. So if it thought, if words doesn't matter, believe you me, we never know what God is saying. That's why we believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of scripture. Not thought inspiration. That the words itself are inspired. And that's why the church of Christ has always fought over words in the Bible. Because words express thoughts. And that's why you need to know exactly what the word is. The point that Paul is making here is that the Jews were given the word of God. That is what Paul is saying in this chapter. So it is more important to have the word of God than when Israel crossed the Red Sea. Now imagine that. Paul said this is the advantage you had. You crossed the Red Sea when you saw something nobody ever saw. Pharaoh's army was drunk in the Red Sea. What a great miracle. But Paul is saying the word of God is even more important than that. It wasn't when you came to the walls of Jericho and you walk around the walls of Jericho seven times and the walls just fell out. What a great miracle. But the word of God is even more important than that. And we can go after one miracle after miracle in the Old Testament and we will discover that Paul is saying there's nothing that compares with having the word of God entrusted to you. That is your advantage as a Jew. And could I say that? That is our advantage as a church. That the word of God had been entrusted to us. But just like the Jew. Who forgot his true treasure. Depending on rituals. And all the other paraphernalia of religion. And he never saw the word. As his supreme gift. So he's engaged in all of these other activities. But the word is neglected. And Paul, well, I want to know what your advantage is. Your advantage is that God gave you the word of God and there's no other advantage greater than that. That's what distinguishes you from the Gentiles. See, see. Now that brings me to, uh, to point out why the word of God is the greatest supreme gift that God gave to Israel and to us. Let me give you three simple reasons. Number one. There is no higher privilege that any human being can have than that God should speak to him or her directly. No, listen, you know, if an important man were to come to Antigua 
uh, I don't know who you consider important. But maybe a prime minister, maybe a queen, a king, maybe a premier, uh, maybe some basketball star. I don't know. I don't know. People got all different types of people that think. But I- imagine that somebody you consider to be great comes to Antigua. And you happen to be walking down the street and he looks at you. I can see on Facebook, you know, he, he wave at me. I mean, he wave at, imagine that, Michael Jordan, wave at me. Kobe, wave at me. But what if he didn't wave at you, he had a conversation with you? Oh my, man, listen, you record that, you keep that the balance of your life. Listen to me. There's no greater privilege than the fact that God Almighty should speak to man directly. No greater privilege in all the world. Nothing to compare with what you're talking about. And that's what he wants the Jews to understand. That you above all people, God chose to speak to you directly. He gave his word directly. You were given entrusted with his word. That is your advantage. Paul is elevating the word so supremely. I wish we felt the same way about God's word as Paul did. To really understand the treasure that we have. When last did you read it? When last did you read the treasure trove that God has given to you? When last? Is the idiot box, the television, more important than the word? You spend so much time on the idiot box, two, three hours, sometimes four hours. And then, when you're so tired after watching the idiot box, you decide to go in the bedroom and, and read, and within one minute, you treasure the word? Is that how you treasure the word? Is that how valuable the word is to you? So you've got all time to read Mills and Boons, all kinds of... Uh, you know, all kinds of books you can read, all love stories you can read. You spend four and five hours, but then you don't even give God a two minute. Is that how important His word is to you? Yet we say we love God and we value God. And God is the most important person to us. Who are you fooling, sir? Who in the world are you fooling? You're not fooling God for sure. I'm saying to you, when Paul says, this is your supreme advantage. I expect the Jews wanted, thought Paul would have said something else. I imagine the thought Paul would have listed. One, two, three, four. Paul said, listen, I just want you to know that the greatest supreme advantage you have, the preeminent thing you have, is the oracles of God. See, That's what distinguishes you from the Gentiles. And I want to ask you this morning, do you really understand what it is for the God of heaven to leave his throne, come down to planet earth and speak to sinful men and offer them hope and forgiveness and say to them, here's your word, here's my word. I don't think we understand what that means. I don't think we value it as we should. You know what he said in Deuteronomy? Listen to these words. Man shall not live by bread alone. We live by bread, boy. Oh, boy. If we don't get three square meals a day, we want to turn the whole place upside down. Yeah. We want to quarrel with our mom if she didn't prepare the meal. 
And uh, if something happened, we just call, you know, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeded out of the mouth of God. Every word that proceeded. That's how you're supposed, that's how the, that's how we're supposed to live. Feeding on the word. Look, you need physical bread to keep you physically alive. You need spiritual bread to feed your spirit. No wonder we are so carnal. Because we keep feeding the physical man and starve the spirit all the day. Because the word is left on the shelf when we come from church. Next Sunday morning we pick it up. Bring it to church. People think that you got a Bible. You got a closed Bible. You see the relevance of what Paul is saying? We read a passage like this and we say, what in the world I got to do with us? But we're in the same position Israel was in. Israel is God's Old Testament people. Today the church is God's New Testament people. The treasure he gave to Israel, he transferred to us. As a matter of fact, he gave us more than they, they had the Old Testament. He gave us the Old Testament. I'm going to add a new covenant called the New Testament. And that's your greatest treasure. That's what distinguishes you. From others. Now I want to say this. If God speaking to man directly is the greatest supreme gift that God can give to man. Could I put it this way? The greatest loss that any man can have is when God ceases speaking to him. When God ceases speaking to him. Amos says... A day of famine is coming. A day of famine. And people say, what day of famine? And Paul says, a famine for the word. A day is coming when the word will not be available. It will be missed. That day is coming. Now, a physical famine is horrific. But a famine of the word coming in the land, nothing worse than that. And I tell you, if the greatest privilege it is a man, that God would speak to a man, the greatest loss a man could ever have is God stop speaking to that man. And if you ever talk to anybody who they will tell you, listen, pastor, God no longer speaks to me. I'll tell you one thing. You'll never meet a more desperate man than that. We have a classic example of that in the Old Testament. A man that God spoke to again and again and explained to him his will. Told him exactly what to do. But he repeatedly refused to obey God. You know who that is? King Saul. King Saul. And the day came and they said, the, the heaven like brass. His prayer was just reflecting back. And there was no prophet in the land, no seer in the land. So what does he do? He turned to a witch of Indor. See? He's desperate. And I tell you this. I tell you this. If you don't understand and, and, and consider it a privilege to have God's word and to use God's word and utilize God's word, the day is coming when you will call and God will not answer. Your famine is coming, sir. Because you've not valued the treasure you have. I pity you when you go from church to church asking God to speak. And you go back home saying God has not spoken. When God speaks, is the time for you to respond. The Bible says, the day is coming when you will call and I will not hear. I will not hear. And the reason why he will not hear is because he has spoken again and again and again and again and again. 
And you just plug your ears. God said, all right. So what do you want? Okay. I go into the world of silence. There's a prime in the Bible between the Old Testament and the New Testament. It's called the intertestamental period. It's 400 years. In that 400 years, it's called the 400 years of silence. No prophet for 400 years. No voice. You know why? Because every prophet that went to Israel, they would not listen to God. And God said, okay, not listen to me? All right, I'll tell you what I'm going to do. I'll be silent. And for 400 years, there was not a prophet in Israel to speak to the nation. He went into silence. I wonder if that's the case with you this morning. Oh, yes, you came in here hoping that God would speak to you again. But let me ask you, why should he? Why should he? Did he not speak to you before and before and before and before and before and before and before? How many times? Did you not resist again and again and again and again? Did you not tell God, stop bothering me? No, you didn't say it in words. But in your mind, you said, don't bother me anymore, God. And God said, all right, don't bother you anymore. <laughs> I'm not going to bother you anymore. I'm saying, the reason why this was the supreme gift that God had given to Israel, it is very clear, it's the chief thing, the supreme thing, the supreme thing, the preeminent thing, because God spoke directly to Israel. Well, let me mention another thing very quickly. It was also the supreme thing for Israel because Israel was the only nation that God revealed and gave his revelation to. Think about that for just a moment. Think of great Babylon. Physically, topographically, geographically, materially, financially, economically. What else should I add there? Great nations. Look at Israel. A small country, no bigger than the size of New Jersey in America. Small island. Small country, sorry. And imagine, great Babylon, great Assyria, great Egypt, great Greece, great Rome, having so much more materially, physically. You just name it. But yet, God bypasses all of them and goes to a little tiny dot called Israel and said, I'm going to give you my revelation. Now think about, not only did he speak to them, but he spoke to them only. Paul is saying to you, you really don't understand what God has done for you, huh? You really, really don't understand the treasure that you have. So amazing, the Apostle Paul should emphasize the importance of this whole matter of having the oracles of God. While the other countries are in ignorance, living in fear and idolatry, overcome with superstition, Delving into polytheism, witchcraft, and demonism, God gives to Israel the truth about the true and living God called Jehovah. See? Bypasses all other. Give it to Israel. But what does Israel do with it? What does Israel do with it? She squanders it and becomes so proud. She doesn't understand that her mission, I am giving you light for you to carry light to the nations. Light is not only for you. But then they become so insular. Everything is focused on Israel. So she forgot her mission. And rather be a light to the Gentiles. 
She becomes darkness to them because she becomes so cocky and proud, proud about what she has. Safeguarding what she has. Not dispensing it to the nations of the world. Bring us Gentiles into the fold of God. Think about that for just a moment. Not only did he speak to her directly, but he spoke to her only. And then the last thing I would say about this great revelation that was given to Israel, that makes it the supreme, preeminent gift that God has given to Israel. You must remember that in this revelation that God has given to Israel, he gave to Israel the only hope that the world has. You know what that hope is? That the Messiah is coming. He tells them a lamb is coming in chapter 53 of Isaiah. A lamb that is coming to die for the world. But he also tells us, a prophet is coming in Deuteronomy. The Lord shall raise our prophet, he said to Moses, like unto myself, and the people should hear. And then in the Psalms, a priest is coming after the order of Melchizedek. And then in Zechariah, a king is coming right in the cold of an ass. Messiah is coming. I don't know if you know this or not. But I'm told that the imams in Iran, the reason why they are trying to create war, I don't know if you know this or not. It is not a, uh, let me put, the West doesn't understand the East. I've said that a thousand times. The West has become so secularized that we can divorce the church and God from politics. The East, you can't do that. Government is religion. Religion is government. It's all intertwined. And behind the, the imams or the, the, the guy there, whoever it is in, in, in Iran, the thinking is in their prophecies, there is coming, I don't know if it's the 10th or the, the 7th, um, what the name that they use? Iman. He's coming. But the only way he's going to come is if there's war. So they're trying to create the environment of war because they believe the Messiah will come and destroy the Satan. You know who Satan is? America. See? So all you're seeing there, and the West doesn't understand that because the West is operating on the principle that we got the church and we got government. There's nothing to do with the church and the government whatsoever. We can operate purely on secular grounds. The Muslims can never do that. He takes his faith and his faith is wrapped up in his government. And he takes his faith very seriously. And we don't understand that. We can't understand how religion could control a country. To us, it doesn't make any sense. But to them, it doesn't make any sense to have a human government and not God in charge. That's why the most powerful man in Iran is the religious leader. He's the one that dictates things. And we, we in the West fighting a war that we don't even understand. The point I'm making here is this. They believe their Messiah is coming. And he will only come in the context of global war. So they have to be the agents to create global war. And out of this confusion, etc., the Messiah is going to come. Israel was presented with another God, another Messiah called Christ. When he comes, he's not going to start war. He's going to bring peace. And he's going to bring peace, not peace in the world. He'll bring peace in your heart first. And then he will transform the world one day when he comes in the millennial rule. And he will bring the peace that man is looking for. But the main thing is the Messiah is coming. And I say to you, 
It was this truth given to Israel about the Messiah. The hope of one that would come. That was supposed to be boy, to buoy them up, make them buoyant in all the problems and struggles that they have. They were looking to the Messiah to come. There was a religion of hope. Now go to any other pagan religion and you don't find that kind of hope there at all. See? No wonder Paul said, you know what? You Jews are saying that I put you on par with the Gentiles. You're saying that I made no difference between you and the Gentiles. Paul is saying, listen to me, you misunderstand what I'm saying. I'm saying that when it comes to sin, guilt, and wrath of God, you're on the same plane. But you did have an advantage. You know what your advantage was? It was not the circumcision you boast in. It was not the, the, the law that you depended so much. It was the fact that to you was entrusted the oracles of God. See? That's your treasure. And I hope this morning by way of parallel that we in, in the church of Jesus Christ would understand that is what is our supreme difference between us and any other pagan group or pagan society. We have the word of God. See, and that is what we must treasure as God's people. See. Now let me say one word to those of you who are here this morning. And you're saying, Pastor, man, you just talk garbage. I have no interest in what you just talked about. Could I tell you a secret? Let me tell you the secret. I do not make it a secret. You don't belong to the children of God. So it's not a secret any longer, right? What you need to do is to get saved. Turn your life over to Christ. See? So, but pastor, this, this, this thing of value scripture and it's so important. I don't see how that's important. You ever been in love yet? And they're sending love letters to you and you, you don't want to open the love letter? You can tell me you love all you want to, but if, if you're in love with a guy, and the guy's writing you letter after letter, letter after letter, and you just put it away, file 13, file 13, you tell him you love him when he goes into the file. Where, you mean I sent all of these, and you didn't read them? There are 66 love letters in here. 66 books. And God sent them to you. Have you opened any of them? Have you opened any of them? Are you interested in opening any? Let me tell you something if you don't know this. If you have no desire for the word, you have no desire to love God. In spite of all your boasted claims. It is not what we say, but what we do. James said, it's not the man that hears the word, but the man that does the word. The proof of the pudding is in the eating. And the proof of Christianity is not what you say, but how you live. See. I must tell you I'm surprised. When I first read it. That that was Paul's big point. I said to myself. I was appearing this. You know how going to make this a big point for our church. Okay. But then you go into it more and more and more. You really understand. That you have nothing more precious than this book. You have nothing more precious than this book. Let us value it. Let us defend it. Let us contend for it. But let us also appropriate and read it. Study it. And let us believe it. Let's pray. Father, take your word this morning and...
bring home your truth as only you can. We look at Paul's arguments. And we can see if we were Jews, we probably would be protesting. After all, we were not pagans like the Gentiles. We had the law. We had the rituals. We had the temple. We had prophets. We had seers. We have signs and wonders. We have a whole checkered history that we can retrace our steps historically. And we had demonstrations of divine assistance and help from one point to another. We have landmarks in that part of the ancient world that we can go back to and say, yes, we were at Sinai. We were at Kadesh Barnea. Yes, we came to Canaan. We knew what Hebron was. And we can retrace our steps. Lord, I just pray that we as believers can also go back in our minds and retrace the steps of faith in coming to you. There we were in our rebellion, in our pride and our folly. And then there was an intervention. You sent someone to deliver the glad tidings. And as we heard the glad tidings, the Holy Spirit created faith in us. And we went with our friends. We went forward, our friends did not. The difference was our hearing was mixed with faith. And so we trusted Christ. Lord, I just pray that you would help us to understand that after we trusted you, we came to appreciate the importance of your word in our lives. Help us to make it a daily part of our lives. Help us see it as a treasure that it is. Help us to not devalue it, but to elevate it. And Lord, if we are rebuked this morning, that when we do a mental comparison of how much time we devote and give to other objects, other duties, other responsibilities, and how neglectful we are of your word, is it because, Lord, we don't treasure it? Is it because we don't understand it's a supreme preeminent thing that you've given to us Lord is it because we don't understand our unique position that you've brought the word to us by sending someone to bring the truth to us and Lord that you gave us hope there was no hope you gave us a Messiah when we were totally oblivious to what we needed to do but yet when the truth came we embraced him and we tried. have we forgotten where you brought us from God, have we come to light and like the Jews neglect the the darkened Gentile world? We have come to faith. Are we interested in those outside the Christian faith to share the glad tidings with them? Or have we become so arrogant and so self-complacent in the Jews that taking your treasure, we buried it rather than becoming heralds to proclaim the same truth that has redeemed us? Motivate us, motivate us, that this Tuesday, when it is proposed that we do visitation and we go into these communities, Lord, motivate us to come out and take the light that you've given to us and carry it to the world that is lost. Help us to know it's our responsibility. 
it's a chief treasure. But it's not treasure to be hoarded. It is treasure to be dispensed and given. Good measure, received, pressed down, and overflowing shall be given to us. As we give abundantly, even so we will receive abundantly. So let us give of your word this week. Thank you for those who are here, who have listened. And I trust, O oh Lord, that something we have said this morning, some word, some exhortation, some particular aspect of truth that has been uttered from this pulpit, would begin to do a work in the heart of those who are sitting here. Lord, for that careless, complacent, indifferent individual who talks about Christianity, but really who doesn't have an inkling or clue about what it is to be Christian, shake them out of their lethargy and bring them to a real, living, trusting faith in Christ. Let them see that what they consider boring perhaps the greatest truth they would ever learn because of the transforming truth may they embrace Christ to save and trust him we pray these things in Christ's name be sure to join us again next time here on Sermons of Grace as Pastor Murphy shows us another objection raised by the Jews if you'd like to contact Pastor David Murphy or Grace Baptist Church please call 268 462 4230 or visit during one of their service times. Sunday school is at 9 a.m., Sunday morning at 10 a.m., Sunday evening at 7 p.m., or Thursday evenings at 7 p.m. Grace Baptist Church is located on Rowan Henry Street in Gambles Terrace, Antigua.